On the show today, WhatsApp delays implementation of its controversial privacy policy updates, Google announces new password security features for Chrome, security of personal technology once again becomes an issue in the presidential transition, our scam of the day informs me of a refund waiting for me at the American Taxation Office, and today's tip covers three threats that can come to you through text messaging. All of that and more is coming up on the January 25th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the newsbeat for you today. We begin with an update on a story we covered last week involving concern over WhatsApp's new privacy policy. In response to the concerns expressed, WhatsApp announced that it would push back implementation of the changes from February 8th until May 15th in order to give its users more time to review the plans. WhatsApp executives are attempting to assure users that its changes are minor and that its services are more secure than those of its competitors, including the fact that it cannot read the messages of its users. This move comes as Facebook has begun exerting more control over WhatsApp following the 2018 departure of its founders from the company. Facebook seems to want to integrate the messaging service more closely with its own products, something that this move indicates may be coming soon. Moving from Facebook to Google, the Mountain View Technology Company announced this week that it would roll out new features in Chrome version 88 to boost password security. Chrome's built-in password manager will now allow users to scan for weak passwords, and it creates a single, easy-to-access location for managing all your passwords. This update comes on the heels of last year's release of the Chrome Safety Check, which searches data breaches for compromised passwords. While I personally don't recommend using the password manager built into Chrome or any other browser, I think that this is a great upgrade for Chrome. One of the biggest challenges in password management is identifying poor passwords, so this feature will help improve security. As America transitioned power to its 46th president last week, the security of the incoming president's technology has once again become an issue. This time, the concern involved President Joe Biden's Peloton bicycle. The primary security concern involves the camera and microphone included on the bicycle, which are used for participation in live classes. Users can participate in interactive sessions with the instructor and other participants. 
Concerns over the security of presidential technology are not new. When Barack Obama took office in 2009, tech experts expressed concern about the use of his BlackBerry. And when Donald Trump assumed the presidency four years ago, the concern involved his use of personally owned devices. Both presidents were able to reach an agreement that allowed them to keep their devices while still ensuring national security. In this case, the problem certainly can't be overcome by removing the bicycle's networking capability along with the microphone and camera. However, these security precautions may reduce what makes a Peloton unique. If you remove the camera, the microphone, and the networking, you essentially have nothing but a very expensive exercise bike. But in the meantime, depending on what's allowed, if you have a Peloton bike, it's possible you could find yourself in class with the president. And finally, in some news unrelated to cybersecurity but still relevant to this show, last week was the 20th anniversary of podcasting. In late 2000, Dave Weiner and Adam Curry discussed the idea of creating on-demand audio delivered by an RSS feed. Over the next few months, Weiner would redevelop the RSS feed used commonly for aggregating content from blogs to deliver audio content instead. On January 20, 2001, Weiner tested his work by publishing the first RSS feed delivering audio content. The content of that first audio file was the Grateful Dead song, U.S. Blues. It would still take a couple more years before the idea of creating audio content to be delivered to subscribers would take off and become what we know as podcasting today. However, the fundamentals of podcasting were officially launched 20 years ago. So, happy birthday to podcasting. And now we move on to our scam of the day. Today's scam supposedly came from the American Taxation Office, which isn't even a legitimate government agency. It used the address info at virtuoso.com. The email reads, Tax Refund Confirmation After the last annual calculation of your fiscal activity, we have determined that you are eligible to receive a tax refund of $768.50. Please submit the tax refund request and click here by having your tax refund sent to your bank account in due time. Please click Get Started to have your tax refund sent to your bank account. Your tax refund will be sent to your bank account in due time. Take your time to go through the bank we have on our list. Note, a refund can be delayed for a variety of reason, for example, submitting invalid records or applying after deadline. Best regards, American Taxation Office. Obviously, this promise of money is completely false. First of all, as I mentioned, there's no American Taxation Office. It's called the IRS, and I think we can probably agree that they're more interested in finding people who owe them money than in finding people they owe money to. You can file an adjusted return, but since the IRS isn't going to reach out to you by email to let you know that they owe you money, this is obviously a scam. 
If you encounter a scam that you think we'd like to talk about on the program, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is multiple answer, which means that any combination of these answers could be correct. The question is, when you use a private or incognito mode in your browser, which of the following groups will be able to monitor your internet traffic? A, your internet provider, B, your spouse or children, C, your employer, or D, your pastor, priest, or other religious clergy? The answer will be revealed in next week's episode, but if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, February 1st. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, what does the S mean in HTTPS at the beginning of an internet address? A. The site is using up-to-date software. B. The site is being encrypted. C. The site is not safe to visit. Or D. The site is optimized for your monitor. The correct answer is B. Many people think that the S and the lock icon in your browser meant that a site was safe, but it only means safe in one context. It means that the site is being encrypted while it's transmitted, but it doesn't necessarily mean the site is completely safe. A site that's encrypted could still be unsafe if it's trying to steal your personal information or install something malicious on your device. If you don't see the S or the lock icon, the data sent won't be encrypted, which means it could be intercepted and read by someone else. But you also need to be on guard for other scams, so don't think that the S or the lock means that the site is completely safe. There was once a time when cell phones were just phones. Apps, internet access, the camera, and even text messaging hadn't yet made it onto these small devices. Text messaging opened a new form of communication when it arrived on your phone. But even this form of communication has its problems with security. We'll have more on the threats that can come to you through text messaging when we come back from this short break. If you have a cybersecurity question you'd like to know the answer to, you don't have to wait for an episode about it. 
We want to hear from you, whether it's a question you have or a comment you want to leave us about the show. You can reach us by email at info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or you can leave a voicemail at 859-968-9399, option 2. We'd love to hear your feedback or your questions, and we will definitely consider them when we discuss future topics or changes to the show. Plus, if we select a topic based on your message, we'll be sure to recognize you in that episode. Once again, that's info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or 859-968-9399, option 2. A former coworker of mine, who we'll call John, held his phone in front of my face and asked me the question, Is this normal? It took only one glance at the screen of his phone to know that the answer was no. On the home screen alone were multiple advertisements. He said that the advertisements were all over his phone, no matter what app he had open or what he was doing. John's phone had been infected with an adware trojan. As I tried to figure out how this had happened, John recalled the story of a text message he had received earlier that week. The message had a link to a video that supposedly had him in it. When he went to open it, his phone told him he needed to install an update for his Fast Video Player app. But he went on to say that despite installing the update, the video still never played. I asked him if he thought the ads had started about that time, and after a moment's thought, he realized that they had. That fast video player app wasn't actually a video player at all. It was malware. Text messaging is one of the oldest technologies on your phone second only to making phone calls. And despite all the new forms of communication we have, texting remains as popular as ever. However, you can't trust every text message that you receive. Sometimes a text message can be malicious. So with that in mind, here are three types of attacks that can happen over text messaging. The most common type of text messaging attack is smishing. If you're thinking that sounds very similar to phishing, you're right. Smishing is a phishing attack that is conducted over text message instead of through email. The term is just a shortened version of SMS phishing. If you didn't know already, SMS stands for short message service and is the technical term for texting. Smishing can be even more dangerous than phishing for a few different reasons. First, you have a spam filter on your email account that keeps many phishing emails from even reaching you. The spam filter looks at a variety of different factors to help assess the legitimacy of an email before it allows it to reach your inbox. That doesn't mean that an email can't make it past the spam filter, but it takes the attacker's time and money to find one that will consistently hit your inbox. 
However, your messaging app probably doesn't have a spam filter on it. Anything texted to your number is going to make it directly to your phone, which means that you're probably going to look at it. The greater number of eyeballs a scammer can get on a message, the greater number of victims that will fall for it. Second, since people generally only read their text messages on their phones, it can be easier to hide malicious websites. Since space is more limited on phones, web browsers usually hide the address bar. I've had instances where I've absentmindedly clicked on a phishing link, but then realized that something wasn't right when I saw the address in my address bar. But on a phone where the address bar doesn't appear by default, you might never see that strange address of a phishing campaign. Third, most people have security software on their computers that will warn them about suspicious websites. The software may even pop up with a warning or even have an extension in your browser that will make you think twice before you enter your personal information. However, most people don't use security software on their phones, so it's less likely that they'll receive an alert before they visit a suspicious website on that device. So with all these advantages for the scammer, why hasn't smishing already become the next great frontier in scams? Currently, text message services are more expensive and not nearly as easy to automate on a large scale. But that does seem to be changing. Like it or not, and personally, I don't care for it, Companies are now looking at texting as the next great frontier in marketing. As more companies express an interest in text message marketing, mass texting will certainly become cheaper and easier. So that brings us to the question that you're probably asking now. How can you protect yourself from a smishing attack? First, just be aware that this type of attack exists. If you receive a message saying an Amazon order of $1,700 was charged to your credit card, check your Amazon account before you get too worried. If you don't see an order there, it's probably not a legitimate Amazon message. Second, be careful opening links sent to you by text message. If you're concerned that a message may not be legitimate, don't follow that link. Go directly to the company's legitimate website and log in there. If there's a problem with your account, they'll alert you as soon as you sign in. If you're not expecting someone to send you a link, be very careful in following it. But smishing isn't the only type of attack that can be conducted through text messaging. A second, more dangerous type of attack also involves malicious links. Instead of sending you to phishing pages, you're sent to a website that can compromise your phone. This happens when a flaw is found in your phone's operating system, which is generally either iOS or Android. Occasionally, a flaw in your browser could give the attackers access to your device, but the website is more often used as a delivery mechanism for the attack. I received one claiming that there was an embarrassing video of me posted online. 
I don't remember the exact message, and I didn't save it, but it said something along the line of, Hey buddy, it's Josh. Just thought you'd want to know about this video of you online. LOL, embarrassing. Fortunately, I recognized it as some type of scam and didn't open the link. In many cases, the attack will need you to do something, such as downloading an app. That's like the story I told in the introduction, where John had to download the supposed app update in order for the adware to get on his phone. The website itself won't do anything to your phone in this case unless you go and download the app. But in some cases, a software flaw is discovered that allows the attacker to take actions on your phone without your permission. While these are certainly more rare, they do happen, so it's important to know that you shouldn't rely on opening the link to determine if it's malicious. It is possible that the website itself could be dangerous. And finally, it's possible the link could be sent from someone that you know. If you're in someone's contacts and their phone is compromised by malware, it's possible that malware could start sending text messages to everyone in the phone's contact list. This was one way that some of the earliest malware spread through email. After infecting one system, it would go to the email contact list and start sending mail to everyone in the address book. So how can you protect yourself from these links? First, as with smishing links, don't open any links that you're not expecting, even if it comes from someone you know. You don't know what could be hiding behind that link. Second, don't download an app in order to open a file or view a video. The built-in software on your phone, combined with the apps that you've already downloaded, should be more than sufficient to open anything a friend might want to send you. Along the same line, be cautious even if the app has a familiar name. A few weeks ago, I shared the story of how I was tricked into downloading a different app, thinking it was an update for an app I was already using. You probably already have the YouTube app installed on your phone. So if you get a message about a video and it says that you need to download the YouTube app in order to view it, it's very likely a fake. And if by chance you don't have the YouTube app on your phone and you legitimately think you need to download it, back out of that website, go to the App Store, and search for it yourself. Finally, there's a third type of threat that's very rare but does occasionally happen. Sometimes, someone can crash your phone or gain access to it simply by sending you a specific message. This type of attack happens when someone finds an issue with the way the phone processes incoming messages. Sometimes, these messages may seem like a prank because they'll just crash your message app or maybe the entire phone, but you just have to restart your phone and everything's fine. But in other instances, these messages have caused more permanent damage or opened holes in the phone software. 
The best way to protect against these type of messages is one that will sound very familiar to regular listeners. Keep the software up to date. When a message attack has been discovered, whether it was just a prank or more damaging, both Apple and Google have been quick to patch the underlying flaws. So while text messaging is certainly simple and convenient, it can also be used to conduct scams or get malware on your phone. Like anything in technology, that doesn't mean you should give up texting totally. It just means you need to exercise caution when reading text messages. That's it for today. Thanks for listening, and come back again next Monday, where our tip will discuss how to stop your internet service provider from tracking your internet activity. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.